Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. By the way, if you want to go online, you can go to Tumblr, Twitter, and Facebook, and you can find the scriptures we're going to be using tonight. If you want to just follow along with us, they're actually there in their entirety, not just the references, but the text as well. We're continuing to talk about opportunities, and I have been talking to many people about their life right now, their situations, and so many people tell me that when God gives to them new opportunities, those opportunities are accompanied by challenges and difficulties. How many of you can confirm that? You, you get a promotion, it's harder. It's more work. You get a new job, you've got to learn how to get situated. You, uh, you have a baby? Well, that's easy. <laughs> Wrong. Wrong. Tell, tell the truth. The truth is, many good things that come our way also include difficulties. And these opportunities that God gives to us don't always come easily, but the fact is we, for some reason, imagine that if God's in it, it should be easy. But as we face the challenges that come with our opportunities, I've also noticed that many people uh, experience a kind of myopia a nearsightedness, their vision shrinks, and they experience a withdrawal of the broad vision that God gave them. They become nearsighted, if, if, if you will, and they begin to focus all of their attention on themselves. In fact, we can become prisoners of our own emotional responses to difficulty. Sometimes God's opening up a an opportunity for us, but there are difficulties that come with it, and we forget the opportunity and we overfocus on how we're feeling in the midst of the challenge. When God gives you opportunities, they normally are going to be accompanied by challenges, and you may be tempted to surrender to your own emotional responses to give up, to give in to run away, to feel sorry for yourself, and you will have to learn to fight when God gives you opportunity. You will have to learn to fight for your opportunity and to draw close to God when you take these opportunities. And I think this is why God spoke to Moses in a very specific way as we read in this week's Torah portion in Exodus 6. You can turn there to Exodus chapter 6, verse 2. The name of the Parsha gives us a clear picture of Vaera, I appeared. It starts with this statement. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. You see, Moses is called the servant of God in Revelation chapter 15. Moses served the Lord. So what we're reading about helps us see that Moses was focused on serving the Lord. That's a good example. Because many of us, when we get opportunities, we think it's all about us. We start focusing on what we're going to get out of it, the benefits that we're going to get, and we forget 
that we're called to be servants of God. When you signed up with God and you called him Lord, he took you seriously. Lord is, is uh, another word for boss. Boss means who's in charge. Who's in charge? The Lord. Who's the boss? He is. Who's the servant? We are. So who gets to tell whom what to do? He does. So this is not all about Moses, this passage. It's about the Lord and how the Lord worked in Moses' life and how the Lord worked on behalf of Israel. Moses is central because God works through people. He works on behalf of people. But God has his own plans. He has his own vision. He has his own purposes. And he's looking for people who will say yes to him, who are not trying to impose their purposes on God, but they want to respond to God's purposes for them. And that's why God speaks in the midst of these challenging situations for Moses. God speaks to Moses in a very specific way and says, I am the Lord. Now, a lot of us wouldn't have imagined God should start like that. We'd think, you know, Moses is, is a tender little blossom, even though he's 83. And he needs to be handled delicately, and the Lord should come and say, Moses, you're so precious to me, and I just love you so much, and I know, I know you're trying really hard, and to talk sweet. A lot of us really want God just to talk sweet to us, especially when we're facing difficulty. And God is a God who loves. There's no question about it. And he's capable of talking sweetly to us. But there are moments when we don't need sweet talk. We need to really know what's going on. And God comes forward to Moses and says, Moses, I'll tell you what's going on. I am the Lord. Don't forget that. I am the Lord. This is not about you and Pharaoh. This is about me and Pharaoh. I am the Lord, yod heh vav -Heh. Hashem, the name. It's a stand-in for yod heh vav -Heh. You see, it's all about the Lord and what the Lord is doing. When God gives you opportunity, don't make yourself the center of attention. Keep your eyes on the Lord. That's why Hebrews 12 says this. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. You see, the race has opportunity in it. You've got to run the race to experience the opportunities. Verse 2, fixing our eyes on Yeshua, the author and the perfecter of faith. You need endurance to run this race, and you have to keep your eyes on Yeshua in order to get that endurance. He will strengthen you. He gave you faith because he revealed to you that God is trustworthy. And that's what faith comes from. Faith comes from the revelation that God can be trusted. And then the walking out of that trusting relationship. Not only is he the source of your faith, he will perfect your faith. He will make it mature. He will build it up in you. He's your coach and your trainer. And he knows how to make you strong. So then the Lord in verse 3 says, I appear to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, El Shaddai. But by my name, Lord, or yod heh vav -Heh, Hashem, I was not known to them. 
the Lord saying to Moses, what you're doing right now is connected to what the patriarchs are all about. I called them and I have been faithful to them and I have established them and I have made promises to them because I am a covenant-keeping God. You see, that's part of the revelation of yod heh vav -Hey. He's not just God Almighty, God who's powerful. He is that, but he's a covenant-making and covenant-keeping God. He enters into serious relationship with us. What did they experience? The Lord says, I appeared to them. You see, this, this faith, this Jewish faith that we read about in the Bible, that has been passed down to us from generation to generation, is a faith that is based on God appearing to our people. It's not a faith that's based on halakha, Jewish law, it's not a faith that is based on the traditions and the rituals which have developed in our religious and spiritual and cultural life. It is a faith that is based on God appearing to the patriarchs and to others who serve him. And then verse four, I've also established my covenant with them, my covenant, to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage in which they were strangers. See, the Lord's saying, I, I will give the land of Canaan to Israel, even though they've been strangers or immigrants, but I give it to them. Part of the covenant that God makes with Israel is the inheritance of this land. There's no way to separate it. And that is why there are certain streams of evangelical Christianity that need to come back to what the scriptures say and to remember that God made a covenant with Israel that includes the land. The land has been promised to Israel from the beginning, and it continues to be promised to Israel. You can't separate it out and say that's no longer binding. It's still important. Then verse 5. I've also heard the groaning of the children of Israel whom the Egyptians keep in bondage, and I have remembered my covenant. Now here, God is speaking powerful truth to us. We will groan. How many of you can confirm that? Anybody groan some today? Life has its challenges, and sometimes our response is just, ah. Maybe at work, you had some groaning. Anybody groan at work? Can I see the hands of people who groaned at work today? One of the guys here is with UPS. I know they've been groaning a lot, yeah. Groan, groan and groaning, yeah. <laughs> a lot of groaning at Target these days. But this is another kind of groaning. It's a groaning in your spirit when you're looking for a breakthrough and you can't get it for yourself. See, this life of faith is not easy. We are in a spiritual battle. I want you to tell the person sitting next to you or behind you or somewhere, just say, we are in a spiritual battle. We are in a spiritual battle. Now look at them real sweet, you know, like you really care about them and say, you're in a spiritual battle. You are in it. You are in it. Deep, deep in it. 
There is no way to avoid the spiritual battle. You think you can make a deal. I've heard of people who, who say to the devil, listen, I won't bother you, you don't bother me. That doesn't work. Because it's his nature to bother you. The battle is tough. And that's why we're groaning. You know, nobody groans when they're feeling great. You eat that, your favorite kind of chocolate. Do you ever go, oh, nah. You reserve that for when times are tough. You go, mmm, when things are good, right? But when things are tough, it's a time for groaning. How many of you can identify with that? You can identify with groaning. Well, the Egyptians have enslaved Israel, and Israel is groaning. And that is a tough part of the truth, that even when you're with God, there can be times when other people are against us. When they're working against us, they want to defeat us. They're not looking out for our good. They want our harm. God can be with us even when we're suffering under the hands of others. God can be with us even when other people take away our rights and treat us as mere property and as slaves. Verse 6, therefore, because I've heard the groaning, because I'm keeping covenant, because I appear to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, because I am the Lord, therefore say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from their bondage. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. I will take you as my people and I will be your God. This, of course, is radical. In the ancient world, nationalities were defined by the land in which they lived. And so, in a sense, Israel was a people but not a nation, according to that understanding. Also, gods were understood to be the gods of nations, the gods of geography, and a god had power and authority only over the land that belonged to him and only over the people that belonged to him. But here is the one true God, the God of the universe, God who is higher than all other false gods, who says, I am the Lord and I have authority over Israel in Egypt. And I can bring Israel out of Egypt and into the land of promise, which I give to Israel myself. I will take you as my people, I will be your God. Now think about this. These are the words that Moses has to tell the children of Israel. Moses can't go before Israel the way American politicians do it and say, trust me, it's time for a change. He, he doesn't say, trust me, he says, trust God. And he doesn't say, listen, I'm Moses, I'm a macher. He says, the Lord is the Lord. Don't forget that. The Lord says, I'll bring you out. Moses doesn't make the promise. <laughs> Moses doesn't say, listen, I think I'm a pretty good leader. I'm going to bring you out of here. 
He says, the Lord will bring you out. And I think while he's saying that, he's saying to himself, I sure hope he does. <laughs> because I know me. And if it depends on me, it can't be done. You see, it's, it's a powerful uh, paradox that God will do things powerfully through people who are not powerful enough. And I want you to see in this that God wants Moses to focus on the Lord and not to focus too much on himself. There's not a lot of dialogue here where the Lord's saying, so Moses, how does it feel so far? Is it going well? What do you think? Can I help you a little bit? And then the Lord goes on, through this, you will know that I am the Lord your God who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. You will know that I am the Lord who brings you out. You see, when we go through difficulty, God uses the difficulty in order to build our relationship with him and our confidence in him. When God brings you out of trouble, you know God can bring you out of trouble in the future. When God heals you, you know that if you face sickness and disease, he can heal you. You discover the power of God when you are weak and in a situation where you need help. The experience will make you know that the Lord can bring you out. Now, some people, certainly in Israel at that time, but even today, they don't know what God can do for them. And some of you know about God, you love God, but you don't know what he can do. And it's time, if you want to move into opportunities, to discover more of the power of God, more of the victory of God. When you don't know what he can do, and then you get yourself in a difficult situation, or life brings you into a difficult situation, you may get stuck. Not only get stuck, you may stay stuck. And you can become despairing and despondent. Let's look at verse 8. I'll bring you into the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you as a heritage. I am the Lord. Now, when you and I read stuff like this, we probably go, hallelujah, that looks pretty easy. Do you know that the people living in the land that God promised to Israel were not happy to just give it up to Israel? They didn't say, oh, wow, God said it's yours. We, we honor the Lord. We honor you. Please take it. Where could we move? We'll move out of the way. Come, take the land. No, there was a battle for the land. The Lord says, I'll bring you into the land. You can't do this on your own. And that's the way it is with many opportunities that God gives to you. You can't accomplish them on your own. You need help from God. Anybody here in a situation where you need help from God because you've discovered you can't do it on your own? Let me just pray for you. You're in the right place. Lord, thank you. Thank you that you put us in a place where we could not get everything we need for ourselves where we could not accomplish everything that you've called us to do in our own power. And I thank you, Lord, that we're all here right now, and we're looking at how you worked in Moses, what you said to him, and how you made promises to him. And I pray, Lord, that we would be able to take this to heart and to understand that you are doing the same for us. You are, you are mighty on our behalf. Thank you, Lord, when we're weak, you're strong. In Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, verse 9. So Moses spoke all, of, spoke all of this to the children of Israel. 
Moses didn't hedge. He didn't try to make it sound better. He didn't come up with an alternative. He didn't smooth it over. He didn't polish it. He didn't spin it. He said it the way it was said to him. Verse 9 says, But the children of Israel did not listen to Moses because of anguish of spirit and because of the cruel bondage. You see, the children of Israel didn't pay attention to Moses. Why? Because their spirit was in anguish. The hardship of the cruel bondage had taken the oomph out of them. It's important to know your own condition. It's important to know the condition of people you're trying to help. Because if they are in anguish of spirit, you've got to speak hope into them and courage into them and faith into them before they're going to listen to you and believe you. You're going to have to pray for them and they're going to have to see some breakthroughs before you'll have all the credibility that you really need. You see, God had prepared an opportunity to go forward into freedom for the children of Israel, but their own emotional condition kept them from focusing on the freedom, and instead they focused on their circumstances. So they were surrendering to their circumstances instead of surrendering to God. Now their emotions were perfectly understandable. How many of you can relate to anguish of spirit when things are tough? It, it makes sense, right? You can't find fault with anyone who experiences that anguish during tough times. And you can imagine if you were being oppressed and enslaved and you'd seen so much cruelty that it would be hard to be filled with hope, for sure. But I can tell you this, sometimes we have to rise above our own emotions and above what's normal and common among people in order to live as people of faith. And we have to be prepared to put our trust in God even if our emotions don't agree with us. That's why the psalmist would say, bless the Lord, O my soul. Why do you have to talk to your soul that way? Because it's not feeling like blessing at such a moment. Verse 10, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the children of Israel go out of his land. Verse 12, and Moses spoke before the Lord saying, here's his little moment. The children of Israel have not heeded me. They've not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me because I've un, I am of uncircumcised lips? You see, Moses does something that I think a lot of us can relate to when God gives us a hard assignment and he doesn't back off. We want God to do a reality check. Lord, look carefully around you. Take notice of what's going on. It's not the way you think. You've called me. I came all the way here from the far side of the desert out there. I came back, and Lord, no one's paying attention. No one's listening to me already. And now you want me to go to Pharaoh and you think he should listen to me? I don't think so. Do you have a plan B, Lord? It's not looking good. Verse 13. The Lord says, thanks, Moses, I needed that. I wasn't seeing clearly, Moses. No, 
It says the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a command for the children of Israel and for Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. Moses says, no one's listening. God says, you listen to me, I'll take care of the rest. Go tell them it's time. Moses, go. So Moses goes, he says, children of Israel, let's go. Pharaoh, let them go. English, I love to let them, you know, let my people go. But the Hebrew is, is a little different. It, it's shalachet uh, ami. It means send my people out. It's proactive. It's not just allow them to leave. It's send them out. God knows Pharaoh's heart is hard. It's going to get even harder. But Moses can't give up just because of that. Have you ever prayed hopeless prayers and prayers of uh, faithlessness because you know the condition of the heart of the one you're praying for and you know it's, it's a waste of time to pray for them in your own mind. They're not gonna change. But even when Pharaoh was like that, God said to Moses, you keep on task. You stay on assignment. Now, unless you understand that Moses was engaged in spiritual warfare. He wasn't engaged in liberation theology. He wasn't engaged in politics. He was engaged in spiritual warfare. This was a battle between the God of Israel and the gods of Egypt and the king of Egypt who considered himself a god in the flesh. So I want you to understand that this is all taking place as a form of spiritual warfare. Moses is in spiritual warfare. There is a battle that can only be won in the spirit. And you also are in spiritual warfare, whether you knew it or not, coming in here. God gives you opportunities, great opportunities to serve him, but you will face opposition as you try to move forward. That's why you have to keep your eyes on the Lord, number one. You have to remember it's a spiritual battle, number two. And you have to understand you cannot escape. You can't just run away. The battle will follow you anyway. We're in the middle of a spiritual battle, spiritual warfare. You can't escape from it. You may not always recognize it when you're in it, but it's there all the time. You can't flee to the mountains and get away. There are some people right now, they think everything's going to hell in a handbasket. And they're thinking, oh, if I can just get into the mountains of America, good luck. <laughs> they're just not that far away from everything else. You can't hide in a cave and get away. Don't take my word for it. Ask Moses. Ask Elijah. You see, God found Moses when Moses was in the mountains. He'd already gotten away from Egypt and all the trouble that he could imagine for himself. And what does God do when he finds him in the mountains? He says, go to Egypt. You see, that's our God. Our God engages in spiritual warfare. He doesn't run from it. He is not an escapist. He is an engager. He loves the world. He's not trying to escape from the world, and he doesn't want you to escape from the world the way you imagine you could. God found Elijah when Elijah was hiding in a cave, right? And God said, boy, this place is scary. Let's stay here. 
No. God said to Elijah, what are you doing here? And he sent him right back into the battle. That's the God you serve. Can you imagine a Marine being sent into battle? He hears the word of the command. You know, we're going into battle and says, well, wait a minute. I didn't sign up for this. Yes, he did. You signed up for spiritual warfare. Did you know that? Did anybody tell you that when you signed up? You're in the army now. You and I are called to engage life and to live in the midst of a spiritual war. And it's in such difficult times, it's in such spiritual warfare that you discover the power of God. That's when God shows how great he is. When God called Israel out of Egypt, it was spiritual warfare. Do you think that the spiritual warfare ended as soon as Israel went out from Egypt on Passover? You think they had a nice Seder? And then they said, whew, the spiritual warfare's over, hallelujah. Easy street from now on. Absolutely not. When God led Israel to the Red Sea, it was spiritual warfare. And do you think that spiritual warfare ended when the Red Sea opened? When Israel crossed the Red Sea? Like, oh, if we could just get to the other side, all the battle's over. No. When God called Moses up to Mount Sinai, it was spiritual warfare. And do you think the spiritual warfare ended when Moses was on the mountain? Do you know about the, the golden calf? Do you think it just ended because Moses is having a mountaintop experience with the Lord? When Israel was promised the land of Canaan, it was spiritual warfare. And do you think that the spiritual warfare ended when the children of Israel crossed the Jordan and went into the promised land? Oh, now we're over the next river, hallelujah. It's easy from this point on. No, the spiritual warfare continued. When Elijah challenged the prophets of Baal, it was spiritual warfare. Do you think the spiritual warfare ended when God answered with fire? No. When Yeshua was born, it was spiritual warfare. And do you think the spiritual warfare ended when Yeshua escaped the sword of Herod? Do you think, ah, our little baby's safe. The spiritual battle's over. Listen, when God called you into his kingdom, he called you into spiritual warfare. He called you out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. I love what Colossians 1.13 says and 14. He rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and he transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You see, before you came into the kingdom of God, you were in spiritual warfare. You were just a prisoner of war. You were held captive. When you came into the kingdom of God, you didn't get out of the spiritual war. You just changed sides. And you signed up with the winning commander, the Lord of hosts. And he has victory. Do you think spiritual warfare ends when you say yes to the Lord? You say, yes, Lord, I believe in you. I want to follow you. Oh, the spiritual battle's over. Okay, hallelujah. It's... 
Spiritual warfare continues. You can't escape it. You have to learn to fight spiritually and to win. I mean, do, how many of you would... This sounds crazy. You're willing to go into the battle, but you don't care if you win or lose. You, that's not acceptable. You've got to want to win. You've got to say, if I'm going to fight, I want to win. I remember, I think it was Mike Tyson who said, every boxer has a strategy until they get hit in the face. <laughs> and what he meant is, as soon as you feel the pain, you just want to fight for your life. You don't want to get hit in the face again. You don't want to get knocked out. When you're in a spiritual battle and you get hit in the face, what do you do? You should fight for your life, right? Fight until you get victory. You should fight and win. That's what this week's partial is all about. Ephesians 6 speaks to all of this. Starting in verse 10. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the adversary, the accuser, the devil. For we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. For that reason, put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand firm. What's the picture here? After the battle's over, you're still standing. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, put on the readiness that's given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. When do you take up the shield of faith? In all circumstances. When it's going well, you bet. When it's hard, you bet. With that shield of faith, you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation too. And the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Praying at all times in the spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with perseverance. Making supplication for all the saints. You see, Paul is writing to the believers in Ephesus, and he understands something they don't understand. It's a spiritual war out there. And you've got to be ready to fight in every circumstance, all the time. Put on the whole armor of God. Why the whole armor of God? Because you need it all. The battle is not against flesh and blood. You might think that the battles against the political party you don't belong to. Wrong. There's a bigger battle. There's a cosmic battle. There's spiritual forces. And they are, they are apolitical in one sense. They're nonpartisans. They hate everybody equally. They're against everybody. They'll use anybody and everything. So what to do? Take up the whole armor. It's repeated for emphasis. You know why? Because as soon as you get into some of the details, it's easy to get lost in those details. 
<laughs> and the big message is take up the whole armor. How much armor do you have on today? You need it all. Stand. You're going to need truth. You're going to need righteousness. You're going to need the gospel of peace, the good news of shalom. In all circumstances, you'll need the shield of faith. Keep alert. Persevere. Don't get tired. That's what persevere means. Persevere means don't give up. It means build up your strength and your stamina. How do you build up strength and stamina? You work out. You practice. If you can't pray for a minute, do you think you can pray for an hour? No. If you can't give thanks when times are good, do you think you can be a grateful person when times are tough? If you can't pray for other people, do you think you can even pray for yourself? Listen, you gotta work on all your spiritual muscles. You need all of them and you need the protection that comes from the full armor of God. What's the danger of not taking up the full armor of God? You'll, you'll not stand. You will find yourself in an attack and the enemy will attack you until he finds what part of you is not covered by armor. Maybe you don't use the word of God and so you'll get lost in other arguments. You won't be able to stand on the word of God. Maybe you don't know about the power of truth and so you can't, you can't argue against the enemy using truth. Maybe righteousness is not important enough to you and there's compromise that makes you vulnerable. Listen, it's all part of the package. You need it all, everyone needs it. It doesn't matter how mature you are or how new a believer you are, you need it all. And why is it? Because you're in a battle now. That's the reality. What do I hope for you? I hope you'll stand. I hope you'll be victorious. I hope you won't give up or give in. I hope you won't be defeated. I hope when you come to God and you, you describe how difficult it is, you'll hear him say, I'm the Lord. And you'll say, oh yeah, I was thinking it was about me. Sorry. And you can get back on track. If it all depended on Moses, Israel would still be in Egypt. It depended on the Lord. That's the case for you and for me too. We have to do our part, of course, you know that. But we have to trust in God. Part of trusting in God is taking the word seriously that he gives us that we're in spiritual warfare. I want you to win. I don't want you to be defeated. I don't want you to give up. I don't want you to be a casualty of this war. I want you to be someone who's trained for battle, who can go in and rescue other people as you've been rescued, who has boldness and faith and fearlessness to seek the good of other people. That's what I want for you. I want you to know how to press into God so that you can tell other people he'll deliver you. Nothing is too difficult for the Lord. You can only say that if you've been through difficulty and you've gotten out of it alive and done well on the other side. Well, I want to pray for anybody who finds themselves in the midst of a battle. Maybe you came in tonight saying, what on earth is going on in my life? 
And I, I hope what I shared with you is an explanation <laughs> for what's going on. So that you can stand and you can be victorious. I want to pray for anybody in that condition. If, if you came here and what is going on, stand up. It's good practice. Stand firm. Stand up. Be strong. Work your spiritual legs. Lord, I pray for these who are standing right now. I pray for their victory. I thank you, Lord, that you know what you're doing. You know how to deliver. You are the mighty God who reveals himself by bringing us out of troubles, by bringing us out of bondage, by bringing us into freedom, by bringing us into your promises, into the fullness of your covenant. Thank you, Lord, for that. Lord, I pray for people who are saying, what is going on? That their eyes would be open tonight and they would see that they would understand that they would know what to do. Lord, I pray for those who have been trying to fight this battle without equipment. That they would take up all the armor and the weapons that you have given us. Because we don't fight in a natural way. Because we don't have a natural adversary. Lord, I thank you for the victories that you are winning. I thank you for the great things that you're doing. I thank you for the many whose hearts turn to you. We bless you, Lord. We thank you for your victory in Yeshua's mighty name. Amen. Amen. Good. It's a good start. This is, a, this is a good last weekend of the year message. So you can go into, you know, the next round, 2014, you know, like in, with your fighting stance, ready to win. Let's close with Aaron's blessing. If you're standing by yourself, I'd like to ask you just to move around so you can stand with someone else so you're not alone or they're not alone. Yivarechecha Adonai, v'yishmarecha. Yair Adonai, panavelecha v'yichunecha. The Lord bless you. The Lord protect you. The Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace. In the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Amen. Shabbat Shalom. Happy New Year.